The book of James is a practical instructional book. A lot of folks refer to it for new believers. It's very good for a church um, that's trying to understand its identity, its place, its purpose, what it's trying to do with its uh, future and history. And it also helps you get re-energized. It's one of those books that's very practical, but very powerful in what God's trying to do through this book. James is the brother of Jesus. I want to tell you something about James you may not know. James did not like Jesus when Jesus was alive before he was crucified. As a matter of fact, he was ashamed of Jesus. But do you see, that man who did not care for his brother became a brother, literally, in Christ to his brother who is already Christ. (laughs) That transformation in my mind and in my heart says that God did a miracle in his brother. I don't know about you, but when you see a relationship that's so strained and destroyed, and yet God transforms it so that they're closer than close could ever be, that's God. Amen. One of the things that really helps me whenever I'm struggling in faith is to look at the life of Saul. I don't mean King Saul. I mean Saul of Tarsus, persecuting Christians, rounding them up to be murdered by the church. Not the church, but the temple church, not the church of Christ. And Saul was adamant and he would have been successful in purifying the world of Christians had he continued, I believe. When God got a hold of Saul, he changed him to Paul. Saul was very large in his own mind, but Paul means small. And so he went from large to small. And whenever I get discouraged, I remember that God changed a Saul to a Paul and 100% changed his direction. It wasn't, well, there's some lingering doubt about whether he went the right choice with Jesus. You look at Saul who became Paul's testimony. Shipwrecks, snake bit. Listen to this. And if you have any doubt about your faith, you won't do this. Three times. 39 lashes, cat of nine tails. Three times, not just once. In peril, hunger, nakedness, sword, all these things. Tried to be crucified by those people who were in the city and he got let down out of the wall by a basket. His life was turmoil. If you knew that this was going to happen and all you had to do was recant the faith and your life would be easy, he could have done it. Oh, I was just you know, delusional about Jesus. You know, I'm sorry, I'm going to go start rounding them nasty Christians up again. He could have saved himself all that turmoil. But what that tells me is, is that he was willing to go through immense pain and suffering because the transformation in his life was real. Here's what one person said about Jesus, which I believe is true about Saul. There's only three things Jesus could have been. The Son of God, delusional or temporarily insane. Same with Paul. Mentally ill, delusional, or truly a transferred man by Jesus Christ. And you do not put your body through torture that feels like death for something that's a good idea. If it does not transform your life, it will not transform your faith. It won't change a thing about what you do if it isn't real. 
Folks, I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for what's real. I don't want superficial. I don't want fake. I don't want phony. I don't want something that's here today and gone tomorrow. I don't want something that's going to blow smoke and later disappear. None of that is satisfying to my soul. And I don't believe you're satisfied living a life that doesn't make a difference or living a life that makes no change in yourself or in the world around you, but you just mark time to the day you push up daisies. I don't think you're after that. I think you want more than just putting in time. I think after you're gone, you want people to have said you lived a legacy for God. That you made a difference in this world. I believe that about you. And the book of James is going to tell us how to do that. Now you say, oh, all of a sudden this book perks my ears up. Well, it's not the only one in Scripture that does that, but it does it when you break it down and look at it close. This is from James. He's the brother of Jesus, and he greets to all God's people scattered over the whole world. What that tells you is that they're not just in Jerusalem, but they're all around, and the Christianity is starting to move. This letter's meant to be circulated among all believers. All believers can read this book and find edification and courage. So I want to start looking in depth at verse 2, where he says, My brothers, consider yourselves fortunate when all kinds of trials come your way. Some translations say, count it all joy. Consider yourselves fortunate (laughs) when trouble comes. I don't know about you, but that's the first clue that this doesn't sound like the world. The very first thing he says, you should be happy when you're having problems. You're getting beat up by the world. You're getting attacked. Things are falling apart. You should think you're fortunate. That is not the word I would use yesterday when I had to call the air conditioner guy out for the fifth time this summer for another large bill to put more Freon in a system that needs replaced. I was not going, I'm so happy. As a matter of fact, I was saying, I would like to replace this at the beginning of summer and it would have been the same price as all the repairs we've done to it all summer. But I still got to replace it and incur that. I even told the man who came out to look at it and fix it, he said, you know, it's the fourth time I filled this thing up this summer, isn't it? And I said, yep. And he said, your leak's getting worse. And I said, I know. And I said, I'm really frustrated because I bought a whole unit worth of Freon. And he said, yes, you have. You know, you need to get this thing fixed. And I'm going, I'd be happy to have it fixed. But I wasn't happy that it needed done. Do you understand? I was not joyous. I did not consider fortune there, nor did I, when I examined the bank account, go, hey, let's use it for this again. I was not smiling. As a matter of fact, you could even say the look on my face was more like stress. Would you agree that that would be probably your response when things like that happen and they keep breaking down? You ever get in a cycle like that? Some of our dear friends, uh, you know them, uh, several years ago went through 
car problems every month. Either they, the car broke down, the engine blew up, tire messed up, or they got in a rental car and they hit a deer because their other car hit a deer. Maybe you all remember this story, but some folks here in town that we all know. And it was just over and over and over, month after month after month for like a year. The vehicle's just messing up. And then this, all of a sudden it quit. And there was peace. And so, why would James tell a believer that it's fortunate that we have struggles and trials? It almost seems counterintuitive to the way we think. Wouldn't you rather consider yourselves fortunate when a blessing comes your way? Sure you would. But here's what he says, because that's only half a sentence in verse 3. For you know, you know that when your faith succeeds in facing these trials, the result is the ability to endure. I don't know about how you look at things. But in the midst of a struggle, I'm not sitting there going, yeah, I'm really glad because after this, I'm going to know how to get through this. I don't think like that. But here's what James says. You know, you know this. You know this if the Holy Spirit of God is in you, that what faces you can't destroy you. It will not defeat you. It will not destroy God's plans for you. None of that's possible. So that whatever's coming your way is going to be removed or resolved by God. If you let Him. Now here's a true story. When I was in college, uh, some of us here are in college. When I was in college, I went for my freshman year and I had no idea all the expenses of the extra stuff. I mean stuff. You don't just pay for courses and you go. You need textbooks, supplies, lab fees, all this other mess. And I was naive. Because all I ever went to was high school, you know. Just go to school, they give you the textbook, you give them back at the end of the year. That's how I thought college worked. They don't, they don't do that. They don't just give you stuff in college. They, their intent is to actually make a profit off students. A lot of profit, apparently. But uh, I went that first day and I registered for my classes and they said, okay, now go down to the bookstore and get your books. And okay, I go down to the bookstore and get my books. I went into the bookstore, pull out all the books, set them up there and I go, here you go, where do I sign for these? He says, uh, no, you don't sign for them, you pay for them. And I said, I don't have $150. And he said, uh, then you can't have these books. Now, mind you, in today's dollars, that's like $400 worth of books. That's how long ago I was in college. So $400, I didn't have it. I mean, I had like 20 bucks. And I'm going, 20 bucks won't go very far. So I really didn't know what to do. And I was so scared that I had made the wrong choice to go to college. I didn't know how it all worked. So I went back to my dorm room. And my roommate wasn't there, so I laid on my bed and I started crying. I said, God, what am I doing here? I can't pay for the books. I can't go to school. I can't study. I've already failed. I haven't even started. What's wrong? 
And I just pray, say, God, you got to do something. Send me 150 bucks right now. I need it. I told my roommate about it when he got in the room and I'm just distraught. And he says, well, go get a book slip. A book slip? What's a book slip? Oh, nobody told you? Uh, no. He said, go back to the registration and tell them you need a book slip. A book slip? I'm thinking maybe that's, that's how you rent them. So I thought, so I, so I went back up to the registration where everybody was registering us, and I went to the person, I said, I need a book slip. They said, okay, how much money do you want on it? I said, uh, well, my books are 150 and they said, well, we better put 450 because you're going to need supplies. So they put $450 on the book slip. I took it down to the bookstore, got my books, got supplies, went to the room, and I said, that was cool. And they said, you got to pay that back. I said, really? He said, yeah, but don't worry. It comes off your grand money. They will come forth and all this other stuff, and then you pay it. And I said, I don't know if it all cover that. And he said, well, that's why you get student loans and a job and other stuff. And I'm going, I really don't want college after all. But you understand... I had to do all that, and everybody has to go through that experience to get into school and start going to school. I stayed in the dorm where I was at school, and the next semester, the very next semester, I got new classes. New books. January. And I needed new books for these classes, and I knew it. I also knew now that they had used books in the bookstore. Didn't tell me that before either. Right? So I didn't go, oh God, I can't pay for these books. I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? Instead, I went, I'm getting me a book slip before I leave this registration. I'm going to go down and get my books, and I'm going to be all upset. Because I know how this works now. You understand, I grew. From the first point of in the trial and the struggle, I didn't know how to handle it. But now the same struggle has happened, and I knew what to do. Because it was no longer a struggle, because I understood the process. And this is what James is saying. When things start coming at you and you're struggling, God's trying to teach you to rise above that because bigger stuff will come along and you'll need to know how to handle the smaller stuff along the way. And if you don't learn to handle the smaller stuff that faith requires, how can you grow to the bigger? Makes sense, doesn't it? If I had blown my college career because I didn't know about a book slip or the books and I would have given up, then the enemy would have won. Now I look back at that moment and I go, <laughs> and other people struggle. I go, that's nothing. It's nothing. It's just, you know, put it on a loan or whatever, the, up against your, your grant money or whatever else you're using to pay for your college or your parents, you know, whatever. But don't sweat it. Why? Why can I say that now? I did sweated. I certainly was in fear. Was scared so much that I was in tears before God begging God to help me. Mm-hmm. And I have the courage now to look at someone else and say, God's got that, don't worry. But I didn't have that then, did I? So you understand, what you go through with God when you get beyond it, you'll look back at it, and when it comes along again, something similar, you'll say, oh, this is what God's going to do. This is not a big thing anymore. The first time you share your story about how you came to faith in Christ, it's kind of exciting if it's new, or a little nervous because you don't know how to do it. 
But the next time you go, I've done this before. I know how to do this. It's called maturing. So if a trial is coming your way, or a struggle, what James is saying is God wants you to mature. He wants you to grow in the faith. And He's going to let that trial come to a point where you're at the point where you need God and you're scared without God and nothing's going to happen. And then God comes through. And now you have a story about how God paid your books. Or whatever else that you're in fear of currently. You'll have that to your story. Why do I say that? Because your testimony is always current what God's doing for you right now. And you can't have a testimony without a test. And you can't have a victory without having the struggle along the way of which you've been brought through to overcome. That's why James says that you know when your faith succeeds. Your faith succeeds. Not you. Your faith of Christ in you succeeds in facing this. Not running from it. Not shirking and giving up. But facing the struggle. There's a phrase that's been going around now for a while called the struggle is real. Yes, it is. And faith overcomes. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he who has faith, says our scripture. And that result, as scripture says in New King James, is that it makes you patient. The word really means that you would have endurance. That you'd be able to stand in tough storms. If you can't stand in the little storms, you're definitely not going to make it through the big ones. So you've got to learn to stand in the little ones. And sometimes we get bigger storms than we can handle because they're so big, we think they're going to destroy us. But God won't let that happen. But, we don't finish there. You see, we can all understand that, but then we we got verse 4. And he says, make sure... That your endurance carries you all the way (laughs) without failing. Don't quit halfway through. So you may be perfect and complete or mature. The word complete, perfect there is mature. Our friend Tilios, the Bible uses that word to mean mature or perfect or complete. And it says that you may be mature or perfect and complete and not lacking anything. Now listen. That lack without lacking anything is really important. If you don't make it through the trial to the end, you miss out. The answer has the blessing. It's what you're lacking inside that God provides at the end of the trial. It's the blessing that's coming. There are different ways to praise God. And one of them is called Tehillah. It's a Hebrew word that means praise for the answer that's coming. That you have no idea where it's coming from, but God. It's coming. It's an answer that God's already got in store that you don't know about. If you've ever read the book of Daniel, Daniel was praying about something to God. Seeking God's face. And there was a period of time where God seemed silent. Do you remember this story? Daniel was praying again a little later and an angel of God came to him. 
Do you remember that story? I don't know if you remember that story now, but it's so powerful. I want you to hear what this angel said to Daniel. And what Daniel experienced in that moment, to me, was like, wow. Because I had, I had read this this week, and I, I didn't understand it. Because I, I never read it in context. But the angel says to him, Daniel, when you prayed, the answer was on its way. It was already on its way. You just had to wait to see it. And the angel of the Lord was confirming, saying, I am the answer you are praying for. I've been taking care of some things to get this answer done for you, but I'm here now. And I am the answer you were praying for. And, and Daniel's going, wow. I can only imagine. Because he prayed and God confirmed, as soon as you prayed, the answer, the message, is what the angel said, the message or the answer was on its way. And this concerns something that was of utmost critical importance. Wait a minute. So what you're saying is, when I start the trial, God knows the end already. He knows the end that you will obtain if you will stick it out. Don't quit. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on what God's trying to do through you. Make sure that your endurance carries you all the way without failing. This will mature you so that you know that God is on your side, has your back, and will bring you through even when you didn't know how. You will lack nothing if you follow through. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, God, sometimes we say this, God, mm, I know that you are good and that you care, but sometimes you don't answer me. Or sometimes your answer is not what I want. Sometimes we pray for a restoration or a healing or a blessing and we don't get it. And there's a reason I believe that that's so. I believe God is trying to discern your heart. I believe God right now is trying to discern this church's heart for Him. Is this church going to serve Him in the midst of trial? Or is it going to walk away? Is it going to give up and say we'll just meander along like a slow-moving river? Or are we going to be a river of living water because God says we are? You understand... When your trial comes, God is trying to see where your loyalty is. What truly your faith believes. If you have faith that is untested, you don't know, nor does God know, if what kind of fire will destroy you. 
or will make you run from God. Will make you give up on the dream or the hope or the vision that He has for you. And so He seems silent and quiet. And He's trying to find out if you want the answer more than you want Him. God, I give up on you because you didn't do what I wanted. I'm done with you. Are you going to pray like St. John the Cross did? Or so many countless others. Heavenly Father, whether I have a lot or nothing, whether I'm in sickness or in health, better or worse, God, I belong to You and I don't care what happens to me as long as You are there. I'm not letting go of You, God, even if the world and my life lets go of me. I'm going to stand in the promises that you've made. That kind of faith goes through fire. A faith that says, well, I don't know if God's even real. You know, I know they said Jesus died on the cross for me, but uh, I didn't see it. So how can I risk my life and everything and know that this is going to happen? How can I trust God? How can this be true for me? Because you've gone through a trial and God brought you through to the other side. That's the only way you know He's real. When He delivers you. There's nobody but God that can do it. My roommate didn't go, here, here's $140. (laughs) My parents didn't have it. I didn't have it. But I was excited when I got more than the book number. I got me a nice logo shirt and pants and everything so I could be college gimpy, <laughs> rah, rah, rah looking gung-ho type guy. I went from I'm going to quit, I can't do this, to I'm gung-ho all the way within a space of 45 minutes. When the answer comes, you don't whack. God brings it through. This is what He's saying. God cares about you. He does. You see, I know that the struggles we go through are meant to show us the depth of our engagement with God. If we were to kind of walk away from things, we're not really committed to the thing, are we? I've seen relationships fall apart for things other than scriptural reasons. For other than scriptural reasons. And scripture says that that's not what God authorizes. I've seen people walk away from business deals and promises because it just wasn't doing the way they wanted. Tells me what their level of engagement was, doesn't it? Sure it does. Well, let me show you the level of engagement that changes the world. There's a man named Jesus Christ who came and said, I'm going to do what my Father says and be obedient no matter what. Even if my will says, I don't want this, this won't make me happy, this won't satisfy me, this won't feel good. He wasn't concerned about his own well-being. He wanted to please his Heavenly Father in all he did. And upon the way, he began to share the story that he would be crucified and killed 
by the Roman authorities. He began to talk about how he would be rejected by all those who followed him. Even the one who dipped in the cup with him and the very man that Jesus washed the feet of betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus knew he would, but he still did it out of obedience to his heavenly Father. And you could say, well, that's pretty noble. It would be noble if someone did that once or twice. Mm -hmm. It would be noble if someone put forth a major effort and helped someone at their own expense for a while. That would be noble. What Jesus did was not noble. Noble is something a person does because they can Jesus did something because He was obedient and God had to do it through Him. Are you settling on something smaller than what God can do through you? Are you selling yourself short thinking God can't use you for His purposes? Do you think that it doesn't matter? As Daryl Mosley said, your legacy could live long after you. Like one of his songs will after he's gone. Will yours? Does that matter to you? That you will still be affecting lives for Jesus Christ long after you're gone? Or will they say of you, well, they only did what made them happy, safe, in their comfort zone? Well, Jesus said to Judas after he dipped the sop, the bread, into the juice and put it in Judas's mouth and looked at him and said, what you do, do quickly. And in that moment, Scripture records in John 13, Satan entered Judas and he went out to betray Jesus. Jesus knew it. And he knew what it would cost himself. And he told the disciples in John 14, I'm leaving. I'm going to the Father. And he went and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it sounds like a nice little story. I'm going to prepare you a mansion. But that very same night, not many hours later in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's agonizing over this. And he's praying, God, not my will. Not my will, but yours be done. But God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And we miss that. We miss the cup. The cup is the cup of salvation that He just showed the disciples will be His blood that they, they will drink in the new kingdom. And Jesus is saying, take this cup from Me. It's the cup of salvation, the cup of suffering. If there is another way, God, do it. But if not, Your will, not Mine. I know this is going to be painful. And he knows it's going to happen because you don't sweat blood without extreme duress. It's very, very rare. And only in times when the extreme stress happens. And I don't mean like, oh, I don't have to pay this bill. It's not like that. That's nothing compared to you're going to be brutalized for people who don't care. And you're going to be left alone by people who say they love you. And they're going to mock you and deny you 
Your closest friends will be gone and you'll face us all alone. And Scripture records that for the joy of the cross, He endured the suffering. Joy. There is no joy in that kind of pain, but there's joy on the other side that we, through Jesus Christ, would lack nothing. Nothing. Jesus did not walk away. As a matter of fact, as you well know, He carried His instrument of death. This is what's going to take my life and I'm carrying it. Further humiliation. But He didn't walk away. And He didn't complain. He just endured. Oh, how sweet it would be to have a church where nobody complained. I've never heard a pastor say that. Today. Every time a pastor talks about a church, oh, i got people complaining about this and that. And I say, yeah, well, if someone complains about it, that means they're volunteering. Amen. Oh, this place is messy. There you go. Here's a broom. You know, that that's my new theory. If you complain about something, you just volunteer to fix it. How about that? But then they won't tell me. They'll tell everybody else. That's what makes it worse. Now everybody's complaining. Except for me, I'm, I, I'm oblivious. And that could be a good deal for me, couldn't it? Oblivious to everybody's complaints. Well, that's all right. Maybe we shouldn't start that in the first place, right? But what I'm trying to get at is, we need to endure. We do. We need to endure. And a lot of us look at the church and all the things around us and we think, well, I don't see any difference. I don't see any change. I don't see any growth. I've said that myself. What's the point? And that's the question we ask. Because we haven't endured to the end, and so we lack. We lack what God's trying to do in us and through us, because we're not endured to the end. I don't want you to be like that. As a matter of fact, if you've been to the point where you're thinking God doesn't matter, you've given up, you don't think church is holy ground, and the holiness of God doesn't matter, I'm going to ask you today to rededicate yourself to the truth. God is who He says He is. His Son is who He said He is. He did what the Bible says He did. And He's alive and here right now. Amen. And the Holy Spirit is moving. There is a fire inside each one of us that needs rekindled. Mm-hmm. And if not rekindled, at least stirred up. Because mm-hmm. we ought to be out there glorifying and celebrating this God in a world that's gone dark and mad. I don't know about you, but I want to see a fresh move of God move through this church and see us move throughout this world around us every day of our lives saying, God is good. i got a trial. Thank you, Jesus. Means the devil's after me. I'm good because I know you're going to bring me through. Praise God for the mess because I know you're going to have an answer and I'm waiting for it. And until you do, I'm going to be praying, praising, and thanking you before it even comes. People think you're nuts. And it's true. You are. You're either nuts, delusional, or God is real. You pick. And if God is real, follow Him. Serve Him. Glorify Him. And do the work of an evangelist as a Christian is called to do. Don't give up because others don't listen or believe. Your call is not about them. It's about obedience to your Heavenly Father. This is the endurance. It is not about 
what happens with what you do is about that you do it without fail. Now I'm going to bring you back again to that verse 3. For you know, you know, when your faith succeeds, the result is an ability you don't have now. You don't know how to make it through this trial yet. But once you've gone through, you say, oh, that's how. You have the ability to endure. We need that ability, that willingness to go through. And until we start going through the smaller trials and the bigger trials, we won't have it. And that lacks in us. Don't give up. No, never. I love this book of James, y'all. I really do. And this morning, I want to tell you that I believe we need a fresh move of God. And I'll tell you how I know that. Because I've been getting brutalized for the last 10 days, if not longer. The enemy's been attacking me right and left, planting junk in my head and, and thoughts and and I'm going, but God, I'm really digging in, using my notebook, uh, bookmark, and marking up your Bible, and I'm really trying to learn more, make up for lost time, and, and, and I don't know what's going on. And he said, there's one more step you need, and it's one more step we all need. And it's how I'm going to close this message this morning. You see, Scriptures tell us about Jesus. And we need to know that we need to have them in our heart, in our lips, and the praise there. But I could know all things about the Scripture. But if I don't know Him, I'm in, I'm in trouble. Amen. If I'm not doing that to get to Him, I'm just doing that to know something. I'm, I'm just noise. It profits nothing. Because love says Jesus matters. Amen. Love says that relationship is important to me. And if I don't seek Him in prayer, before I ever read His Word, I'm just trying to get head knowledge. I told my wife yesterday and today, I'm just all confused when I read the Bible. I'm getting confused. And I don't know why. I don't understand it. I do now. Because I was seeking to know the Word, but not the Word. So don't let your experience of faith be well I prayed I read the Bible I went to church that is not a relationship with God relationship with God is you seek Him with all your heart and you seek Him in all trials situations and you talk to Him throughout the day saying I love you God thank you thank you I appreciate you I need you all day long that's relationship the Bible prayer in church is additional and necessary to the relationship but it is not the relationship. So please don't sit content thinking, well, I made it to church today, so I'm good for the week. You're deceived. You made it to church to hear this message that God wants more than that from you. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, I uh, had a tough week. You know that. And there's part of me that wanted to walk away and leave it all alone. But you said in your word today that if I stuck it out, 
what I'm missing in that moment, you would provide. And I believe there's folks here today that need to know that provision. That the cross covered it even before it happened. And so, Heavenly Father, I'm asking those that don't know your provision or your salvation or your mercy, that this morning, that the trial they're enduring or the questions they have that never seem to get answered, that they would lead them back to their knees before You and say, God, I need You. I don't need answers. I need You. I don't need healing or restoration or knowledge. I need You. And I keep jumping over that hoop thinking it's just a hoop. So help me, Heavenly Father. Help each one of us today to turn our eyes upon You and say, God, here I am. Without You, I am nothing. Amen.